Welcome to the Odelay Show with C.G. Brazewell. It is uh, the 25th of February, 2016. Um, today's show is a, a description of a conversation between my, my nine-year-old son and myself regarding um, postmodernism. He asked me, uh, a question. He asks questions. He gets a lot of uh, sort of philosophical uh, lectures from me to begin with. So he saw fit to ask me, "Dad, what's what's postmodernism? What does postmodern mean?" All right. Well, he asked. <clears throat> That's his mistake. Uh, so he got an answer. This was two days ago, and yesterday I I gave him an answer. Uh, my immediate response was, um, well, you know, you know, I set it up like, okay, well, you know, there've been some, as you know, son, you know, of relevance to your education, major, major important, um, impacts you know, advances among humanity, you know, in recent centuries, decades. <clears throat> All right, namely, uh, genetic engineering, right? We often have a discussion about how uh, essentially our bodies are biomech, you know, and software being deoxyribonucleic acid. Or, you know, son, just... The discovery and manipulation, nuclear engineering, the strong and weak forces, uh, nuclear forces, which he understands. He's a, has a strong interest in astronomy, and he watches the, the old Carl Sagan cosmos and the new Neil deGrasse Tyson cosmos as well for his edification. Since he was young, young, and I, he has a, an interest there, and I try to cater to that. Um, you know, and I said, you know, those. Um, you know, since nuclear engineering, particle physics became something somewhat accessible to to everyone, which was it's changed things. It's had it's had an effect on you know postmodern. Also, can be as you found referred to in the literature sometimes as post-historic or even post-apocalyptic and post-nuclear. I should I should redirect here. I told him also that not to be confused with the first answer that comes up when you look at this in a dictionary, which is a, essentially a mode of art or architecture or philosophy or literature. But philosophically, it does have the same, essentially the same, uh, put the same question. You know, I worry that he might be developing a distaste for the humanities. <laughs> because of my ongoing kind of rattling about them. But, you know, he's my son. I'm trying to get things into his ears that he may or may not be hearing now, but he's listening now, but he's certainly hearing it, and he might find it useful later in life, the philosophical stuff. Um, and so, boy, he gets this look. And I, I tend to go on and on, as uh, as you may know. So I, mean, I just, I just I enjoy to, to talk. So anyway, maybe maybe the liberal arts will skip a generation. 
in terms of vocation in this household. It might well serve him uh, effectively to to bend towards the science or engineering or math track in his uh, schooling as college comes nearer. But he nevertheless is so much like me in his habituations that I, you know, it's, it's a, and, and temperament that it's almost as if I've cloned myself. So it's almost as if it's unavoidable for him to turn out to be, you know, a novelist, you know, and, and the like. At any rate, so I'd, I'd set up, said that, you know, the Industrial Revolution, you know, made um, a tool out of organized labor and mass production that brought about the aforementioned, uh, you know, leaps forward that we see even today with continuing to push the envelope with networked uh, uh, computing, solid state um, technology is something else that I brought up, which made it possible for um, essentially more far-fetched computations to be effectively quite facile for the purposes of research and development and theory. So, son, you know how we, I said, talked about those recent changes. Well, um, cultural impact of, among humanity on Earth has been significant, and uh, like uh, integrated networking alike. Well, those are very powerful. Yes, Dad. Well, those are very powerful areas of uh, for any species. Powerful areas of mastery, and, and our fluency in those are, you know, and the ease, uh, common access to it all is. Um, had serious impact and changed the world permanently. Um, uh, as I mentioned, you know, it can be also referred to as post-historical or even post-apocalyptic, um, you know, and phenomena that were historically attributed to mystery or to deity, you know, today can be often easily described with to really anyone um, with with a you know a, rel a reductionist model of um, you know the applied sciences you know empirically described or analytically um, you know notwithstanding the magic of love and the importance of spirit and that soul never dies, not even Richard Nixon's, as the song goes. And he gets a lot of that from me, too. You know, because you know, some time back, you know, I was, a, I was a troubled youth. And so I was heavily solicited by faith-based organizations as basically people out, you know, trying to help or trying to harm or whatever. Do, trying to do something because I was adrift and lost and in trouble. Um so I've, I've, over the years, had a pretty in, immersive study in all various, like, it's brought about, it's forced upon me a kind of a study in world religions. And I always find it interesting that people argue themselves to be religious scholars and they know only one religion. And without a, any comparative analysis, how can you be, how can you make an, a, a, a qualified, you know, examination of the subject well 
Um, you know, so so I and sometime back I realized that the world was in such, you know, an evidently messy disposition that, you know, secular um, right angles weren't going to solve the problem. It was just going to, you know, because of the failings of, you know, human nature, you know, as honestly as they may have become by aren't going to, you know, you know, selfishness and, you know, all the bad attributes of, you know, bad habits of humanity aren't going to save the world. And I realized that basically, you know, to move forward at Aspera ad Astra, you know, through hardship to the stars, it's going to take basically organized magic, for lack of a better term. When you describe magic as something that the technology of which one doesn't understand, that's a typical uh, kind of uh, rational explanation of what what magic is. You know? So, um, and essentially, the you know, like what is the what is the uh, there's a branch of the military according to the film, the Stanley Kubrick film, The Full Metal Jacket. United States Marine Corps refers to it. The church service in the film, or the gunnery sergeant, does as a as a magic show. Well, so you know the 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 thought process I had at ten or fifteen years ago, or whatever, was uh, well, that's what religions are trying to do. That's like their organized magic. It's a lot of other things that you'll hear me say. What I, you know, determinations I've made over the years. It, it, some of the things it is and it ain't. Um, but I thought, well, at least those, you know. You know, they're they're making magisterial, you know, ecumenical, uh, you know, uh, non-secular, uh, spiritually driven judgment calls about the fate of humanity and always have been wrong or as they often have been. That's still what their brand is. That's how they've been marketing themselves at religious organizations. You know, so I thought there may be something to that. You know, often these uh, religious organizations are sold. You know, by the. Real clear-cut, obvious, hey, like the Unitarian Universalists have seven principles, and they're all very Buddhist. They're all very altruistic. They're all very empathetic. They're all very kind. Um, and then I've been to various numbers of UUs, and uh, because of the Universalist aspect of the UU, in addition to Unitarian, you have a bunch of secular humanists in there um, and you end up getting church and state problems manifesting because secularity is a religion as well. You know, um, you know, anything that's got a dogma, anything that has a, 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 a wand that can be waved is a religion, even if it's godless or purportedly godless, you know, or magicless, whatever. Um, we're talking philosophy here. Don't cite me for it. These are just words and best ones I know to describe the point of view here. I'm not evangelizing you. I'm proselytizing, dear listener. Um, you know, and I, I was at a church where, a UU church, I've been to various of those, and they're all very different, just like neighborhoods, just like, you know, the the, the fast food restaurant in your town, the McDonald's. I mean, I say that like I'm holding a dirty, uh, you know, diaper because I'm a vegan. But the McDonald's in one's town is different, going to be different than the one in another one. So various sizes, various shape, often take on the 
face of the community where these organizations are set up. I've been to a number. They're all different. I went to one very small, and they had a lesbian um, minister, and she was probably perfect for the the organization. About as perfect as it could get, because the organizations is you know it's in a basically a retirement community in a very conservative town, and she was a licensed counselor and was you know they didn't like her. They outed her. The Christian fifth column, the evangelical Christian, so to speak, Christian, quote unquote, fifth column, is pretty strong among the UUs um, because there are those who feel it's a battle, a spiritual battleground. And uh, at least in said fifth column is, in, you know, it's in check in a Christian, straight Christian church because it's that's a known quarter for such things. And um, usually it's governed at the behest of whatever the political will of the head parishioner is. Not necessarily quite as such at the UUs. But anyway, um, you know, I, I, I did a Buddhist practice for, and still continue. Um, it segued into a martial arts and a yogic, um, um, you know, athletic preventative maintenance, health and body diet holistic practice, but, um, and I surveyed Buddhist literature for a long time and did a lot of, you know, and that to me, after doing it for 10 years, all of a sudden, it was just very obvious how helpful it was for me in my martial arts. You know, say what you will, you know, about the Oriental religions, you know, they're old, uh, but, you know, it served me after such a fashion, just like my Christian upbringing has given me a very more or less significant political um, a trial. Um, um, you know, I, I did, um, I paid dues to a neo-Druid organization out here in the Southwest oh, 10 years ago and, and studied, um, um, old, uh, earth-based religions on the new continent and back in various European regions and and the like. Very interesting to find what the modern kind of churches share with those old uh, roots. And then you have the ubiquitous, uh, you know, Roman and Greek pantheon that we see in everyday secular culture today in the United States and around the world, for example. You know, you might you might have an instance where. Um, you know, where your your son gets thrown out of the Boy Scouts because, I don't know, dad's a civil rights advocate and and, and hedges uh, with the the GLBT um, uh, faction because it's the right thing to do. Like, I can certainly empathize with that as a journalist. I'm a First Amendment guy, not so much, not only just because of the denoted freedom of the press, but freedom of assembly to put one's Legos wherever one wants to put one's Legos. Um People often jump to a firearm Second Amendment argument, and I argue there's nothing to protect if you don't have a First Amendment. So let's say that 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 outing from the Cub Scouts of America occurred at a at a at a at an organization that was chartered by a Methodist church. Well, you know that might be the end of my involvement with the United Methodist Church. Um, you know, 
and I don't think that's a very Christ-like thing to do. And I question whether or not there is any right to have that uh, crux out there on the sign. In any case, um, you know, years and years have gone by. I've done a pretty broad, thorough study of world religions, practicing, borrowing, leaving be, uh, meeting people, and learning. Um, and I, you know, as I mentioned some time back, I thought, well, you know, basically organized, for lack of a better term, magic. And I probably came to this conclusion about the time I was studying the Neo-Druids, because the word comes up frequently among that uh, various literature. Is going to have to be the way to do it. Um, so, so he gets, you know, theological, theosophical, my son, philosophical. He lectures from me just in passing in the, you know, in the car on the way to this and baseball practice, you know, on the way to drama, on the way to band. I mean, we talk, we talk. I mean, I'm a single parent. We have conversations. He's, he's glad he has me, but, um, you know, and, and, such you know darker aspects of humanity nevertheless have to be teased out and dealt with and um, so religion has been part of it although and it, it's it's critical to the, to the definition of post-historical or post-modern society which is why i've gone on about it for whatever five minutes here because it's i'm setting this up um and as i said i you know um It changes things, you know, phenomenon that were attributed to mystery or to deities can today now often easily be described with some reductionist version of analytical, you know, philosophy or applied science. And, you know, the empirical sciences, notwithstanding the magic of love and the importance of spirit and the fact that soul never dies, not even Richard Nixon's as a song goes, you know, by Neil Young, I said to him, and then I. That's what led me into the discussion about religion as I'm setting this up. So this changes things like how we view, record, and interpret and interact with history. Because it's still, we're still rolling tape, as it were. But, you know, the very harshly oppressive, the very hard scrabble predicament that leads to... Um, some of the primary historical cyclical cyclical trends in humanity that's that's gone now when when you realize there's not a big guy with a beard and lightning up on a cloud i mean not necessarily i mean you know statistic i mean you know in terms of <clears throat> you know in terms of free will there is sure you can put whatever you want up on your cloud or is there a, but not governing as such. And is there a big monster down and burning in hell to eat you up? Well, no, not as such. Can you create one of those? Well, sure. That's the whole, I mean, we, we write fiction, don't we? So, and nothing stranger than fiction. And, you know, the mind is where, and, and you know, there's a, an important philosophical school of thought that understands that, that uh, the dependent or independent origination conversation has to be had regarding the origins of phenomena. But anyway, it's a short digression. But now, instead of thinking, um, you know, white guy on a cloud, we have, you know, okay, well, we have, uh, you know, spirit, love, law of the sea, you know, you know, Newtonian physics, 
um, you know, genetic code. Um, and, you know, and don't borrow trouble. And so, again, it changes how we view, record, interact, and, and, and uh, interpret history as opposed to, you know, unenlightened populations would do. You know, chattel laws. And then I broke in and I said, you know, I don't mean, I wouldn't go out and encourage everyone to get an abortion as, as political speech. But, um, you know, to argue against some woman's right to elect to have to do so is a lockstep argument that that body's woman is not her that woman's body is not her own and that's chattel and that's slavery so that came up as a political that that's a pretty you know that's a you know it's not a political statement that's that's you know are is are you pro chattel laws or not um and it's not pretty and we don't like it and it's a difficult topic to have to to fathom and it's sad you know if someone has to do that it's not a big cheer and happy haha football game but it's it's also this isn't you don't you don't own people you know and i discussed with him that when you reevaluate history and now in your context Here's the nut of the whole show today, and it's the whole nut of the argument. It's pretty anticlimactic. You know, there isn't a big grand. I mean, there's all rats will conspire in the toilet, and they continue to do so. But there is, I mean, truth be told, you know, illumination is a function of truth. And when you see it, it's like, wow, there's, you know, I'm still here. And. And it's, um, people are freaking, I mean, hey, you know, it's just, truth is truth. You gotta, you gotta reconcile within yourself before you can actually, like, postmodernize or make the jump into, you know, beyond history. And the trappings that come with the historical mechanisms of studying and, and, uh, and dealing with historical trends. It comes up in literature a lot. I've used the following example for my my fourth grader. I said, okay, so you know in Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what did the big, you know, uh, symbol of logic the, come back and say regarding what the true meaning of the universe is? He said, uh, 47 or 42. I said, it's 42. <laughs> like yeah 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 well and I was like does that and I you know that seems kind of anticlimactic yeah 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 well you know and I happen to wear a, a coat size of 42 and I believe in um, 42 long and in a western cut it's a 42 or the other way around but I said so essentially you know you cannot you know, arguably in, in a given subjective moment in a post-historical sense where we're all not going to cook in hell, you know, and we all don't have to bend to the will of some tyrannical ruler, more or less the meaning of the world in a given circumstance. You know, you can't, one cannot step in the same river twice, but happens to be the question to, to you know, 
that you would ask to find out the answer to the whole universe would be, well, Chris, what's your, what, what size coat do you wear? Or maybe the answer is kale. <laughs> like what's, you know, what's the, uh, what's the final, uh, vegetable that gives me what I need where I can completely get off the, uh, animal protein, which would, which would, you know, saves a million gallons of water, you know, a minute, essentially <laughs> in terms of the logistical web analysis or, you know, or sex, but then that gets kind of more complicated and that's cultural. So, you know, not all the time can it be so history. It's up to you to kind of make your life simple. But, the, uh, I think the anticlimactic, climacticness, all right, if you will, of the post-apocalyptic world is is compelling. It's very zen. Zen, excuse me. Also interesting is that, and this is where I kind of jumped off, and he got, I could have stopped there and it would have been fine. And I went on for twice as long further, and it was more me just noodling. But it's more, and it's more appropriate for this show. And it is as follows. That, you know, we can have and typically do have, along with the postmodern society, exist, they ex, it'll exist concurrent with, right alongside with, cohabitating with a less modern social construct. So this fact individualizes history. This is a fascinating thing. Fascinating thing. It also has great implications. And you start seeing teleology of it in the old mode of doing of historical analysis you start seeing how you got kind of two civilizations living side by side so not only does that individualize history but it also basically opens up a a place for in bad faith operations which we know are going to occur among humanity that's part of why if we grew perfectly straight and true or you know perfectly crooked whatever like a nice you know like like intelligence the you know the plant of intelligence in the universe then there would be no operations in bad faith and history wouldn't have been a bad deal and then we wouldn't have had to make a paradigm shift from it or a quantum jump away from historical modes of uh history you know of humanity but anyway um, so those compelling issues do seem to become salient for the observation and, uh, consideration. You got these basically with, along with it, with, with any postmodern society, if you will, or post-historical there, it stands not linear, literally or literally upon a less modern social construct only in the figurative sense, but more actually to describe it more accurately, it would say alongside with. And that complicates things, philosophically at least. I mean, does it matter that your neighbors are unenlightened? Well, not directly. But what if they're clubbing you and your baby seals when you're not looking? <laughs> then then it, that, that's, your, that's where there's a philosophical egress where it might need an inquiry. <clears throat> also interesting to consider <clears throat> is, um, you know, in the kind of solid state evaluation of his historical substantive material history uh, the religious studies courses in in uh, academic institutions tend to present historical world religion religions 
you know, in a strictly in a forensic perspective, and his storage bins of odd dogma, interesting relics, affectations, and the flashy defensemen of uh, the world's religions historically, and all of the catch-all therein that one may elect to borrow as a you know, at whimsy or as an affectation, see if it works, and here's why it did, or two, as otherwise models of pre-modern social constructs, you know, that essentially represent thousands of years of oppression, death, and slavery at all times when it didn't work. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, that's a little dog leg off there. What what you probably might come to expect in a in a class at religious studies one oh one. That's what you, that's the angle by which is presented to those students. And so you got you got two different more or less civilizations kind of existing there, and it has implications regarding you start to see that double siloed effect in far distant history. Thousands of years you see, well, it would appear the topography looks like you basically had kind of, you had people, you know, yet the same sort of symptoms that you have now and you see it now and you realize that you've got two concurrent civilizations living and you can understand why it ends up transcending eons because essentially if you're dealing with history, if you, if your forensic approach is incorrect and your philosophy is wrong and everyone's enslaved and dying, then, you know, it, it it's a cycle that is feeding something that's eating it. There's a demand. It's, it's going on. So it's difficult to kind of, so it's, it, that, that fascinates me. I've said it 10 times. I'll stop. Also, um, in the postmodern tends to coincide with the, so with the, and I'm reading my notes here. Forgive me if I repeat myself, but the pre-modern social silo, then, okay. If, if that, then arguably, you know, concurrently, then arguably, at least philosophically or in theory, there have always, there's always been, there are a lot, there's always been postmodern enlightenment at hand or to hand or available. The degree to which it is significant or how, how, what's the size of the demographic, I don't know. I already mentioned to what degree does the size matter if this whole concept more or less individualizes history? You know, right? Because it does, it really does. I mean, it, if you think about it subjectively, and it matters. I mean, when you're the subject. So there are a lot of little kind of trailers that go off from the observation of the individualization of history and uh, the uh, two societies living together. And, you know, I mean, you have examples of uh, 60 years ago when the Mahatma was assassinated. I mean, that became political. 2,000 years ago when Jesus of Nazareth was assassinated. That was political too, and that was because you had basically uh, a post-modernist approach or post-enlightenment approroach to well that post-enlightenment's not actually the correct term I'll, I'll look into that in a minute, but a post-historical approach to truth and and, and enlightenment versus uh, the ecumenical the state um, and uh, the secular Roman government um, just an example, not popular, you know, it's 
I think that's something that the United States has actually been able to offer. Now, I spent a lot of time alone as a result of the safety that American citizenship provides for me. And I think I might be pretty individualized in my historical um, context, frankly. There may be less than you think individual. There may be less enlightened people, less postmodern constituency than one might think. But at least I am not been nailed to a cross. Uh-huh. And I haven't been shot, you know, on my way to cover the city council politics for the newspaper or on my way to the Zendo. Um, and I, I think that I think that that I think that the the. You know, the United States offers that political asylum and is able to to follow through with the deal. But I think the cost is. Um, um, that you and I have this, this tea time conversation uh, remotely rather than in person. It is also largely a function, I think, of uh, where I live and it's a relatively rural area, but it was pretty um, lonely in Houston and pretty lonely in Phoenix too. And I think that is a function of wartime, having a cooling effect on uh, communication. And as a journalist, it hits me right in the crotch, of course. Um, more so than it would people of other vocations. The point is historical. That's just examples of historical uh, situations. In Philip K. Dick's books, one, at least one, Vallis, and I'm sure more than one of them. And he was a, a sci-fi author and like a spook, you know, very popular among certain, you know, niche um, didn't go read Philip Dick. It's sci-fi. There's plenty of other good sci-fi. I mean, it's what it was with sci-fi. He just happened to be something I latched onto when I was younger. So read whatever. But one of the things he used to, I mean, it was political speech he would make. And is uh, go read Frank Herbert. You know, go read Dune first. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of the consp- uh, he would say the empire never ended in his character in one of his books. Well, what that meant was the Roman Empire never ended. Or that mindset is still here, um, which is, indicates that kind of dual um, uh, society that that together, you know, kind of parallel each other through history. And then I went ahead and used an old, uh, you know, outmoded usage of the word through history. I've hit. I've historicized it there in the traditional sense. Um, anyway, there's always been postmodern enlightenment, it would say. But it follows that there has always been. Um, historical prophets or illuminated, you know, people throughout history have, um, have been bellwethers of just that. Um, you know, and often they're assassinated as it happens. Um it's such an historical aspect to consider regarding the matter, it begs the question of the future as well. And I've talked about historical examples of this on the record. What does it mean for the future? Now, I've given a lot of, and I say this frequently, it's just a typical Buddhist axiom. And it's, it's also, it's typical axiomatic of anybody who's kind of in touch with the river of, you know, the world around them and with any level of truth, you know, who's searched their heart. 
you know, the, the past is a, is a memory. The future is an idea. And the now is the only place where you have active agency in the sense that it's contemporaneous um, in terms of cause and effect. I mean, one can have agency historically and one can have agency forward-looking in the future. So I don't mean to overly narrowly tailor that uh, perspective. But, um, you know, with that in mind, from an individualized historical perspective or from a post-historical perspective, that's really, that really is, that it, 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 it has to be confronted. That perspective has to be um, dispatched or deployed or you can't ignore the fact when it evidently is, 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 is how the, your one's vessel is going to interact with the water um, in the most effective and uh, literal sense, right? Or not literal, but just, it's just how, it's just how baseball go. That's just how the river of time flow. Um, so given that we're all compelled to, you know, interact, um, historically in new and completely different ways. Um, and again, with that, basically have done right post-historical life or post-modern life or post-apocalyptic life or post-nuclear life even can be fairly anticlimactic, as it said. And I'm back on my notes here. It's okay to reset. But there is the risk of slipping, I think, also back into the old habits of civilization. I mean, particularly in light of an argument that history has been personal or individualized. One slip and all of history slips with you in that sense. Which is part of what is meant by the phrase, the empire never ended. Um, you know, as we found in Phil Dick's dystopian sci-fi novels, that is uh, the, the voice and um, casting off, uh, the vice rather, and casting off of the intergalactic yoke of the great Roman Empire eventually led to its demise. You know, the, the proletariat of, the Roman proletariat ate itself um, through ethical, ethical erosion. Um, also that you know, the important understanding that the dark face of humanity can still rear its, you know, ugly head, even even among the most golden of ages of human enlightenment and progress. Um, the peaks of civilization. I mean, we see it today where we have the most, you know, arguably promising technological steps occurring at the same time as we see various examples of real real decline you know among certain of the various factions on our planet or at least that we're you know it would we would be made to believe um you know and it also you know and 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 postmodernism as i mentioned i mean it's a it's a genre of it's a way of thinking. It's a type of architecture. It's, 
and it, and it's um it's a philosophy and it which all have tendency to reflect um life you know they they um they simulate one another they 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 speak that way. One doesn't without the other. It's recursive, and so you have that there. And there are all there's also there's always that that undertow. Um. Now let me see if I have um, uh, my sponsor in for today. In just a moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop tape and go check it out. Hang on. It'll seem like no time. All right, she wasn't there, so. Uh, today's uh, February 25th edition of uh, 2016 of the Odalay Show with C.G. Brazewell. How about brought to you by the Winnipeg Jets at the Dallas Stars this evening at local time. It would be 6.30, so Mountain Standard. Um, and by Brazewell Communications Publishing Division. Um, titles in print. Uh, found at www.fusepowder.com. That's F-U-S-E-P-O-W-D-E-R.com. Fusepowder.com. Um, uh, fiction and nonfiction. In-house uh, written and designed and published. Also, third-party uh, publishing available if you have a book or a client with a book, I'm happy to uh, work as your publisher and or editorial consultant or editor even for those. Um, and, or I can give referrals for more specialized, specific needs as you may see fit. Brought to you, of course, by the Pizza Noir series of uh, dystopian detective um Crime novels, <clears throat> Pizza Noir, uh, Pizza Noir one, two, and three is coming soon. Um, it's written, and also the next Denver Day joint, Hipster Bricks, the cost of doing business or the price of egalitarianism in the twenty first century. Oh, all of which are available digitally on Amazon, or contact me through the information provided at FusePowder.com to include by phone, text, video conference um, at 518-400-2729 is my, uh, uh, that should catch me at any time if I'm awake or not in the water. Find also, um, so hard copies available through me, through the website, and you can all, one can also pick up those at uh, Amazon.com, the digital ebooks. If you are broke or do not wish to enfranchise oneself in the U.S. dollar, right? If you don't want to invest after such a fashion, contact me and we'll negotiate a price. And if you, you know, can compel you, I can be compelled to give you a copy because I am also the head marketing capo. I'm not just the publisher or the author. I'm a marketing guy. And it's worth it to me to get these books out, which also include um, in, uh, Embedded Alive, first-person journalism in the United States of America, um, 300 pages of what to do when you are bullied by the, one is bullied by the phone company 
or um, your employer or and my take on substance abuse marketing logistics um, you know my personal bedside forensic journal which is the more or less the broth out of which my thesis proposal is being cooked up because I'm taking a hard look at graduate school right now um, and all of my editorials op-eds from the past couple few years um, that's also available through me hard copies or digitally through Amazon or either way through me if you want to negotiate a price or if you want to try to sell these and put them in bookstores then do it and I'll I'll cut you in it's work and it's honest work if you have a book talk to me about that if you would like to be on the Odalay show with CG Brazewell if you would like for me to carry your advertising content say so I'll negotiate that agreement with you as well in the past we've had Kristen Lajeunesse with Will Travel for Vegan Food we have Emily Moran with uh, uh, what is hers called Bite Size Vegan um you know, among others, typically people with whom I agree politically or, uh, but if we agree aesthetically, we don't necessarily have to agree politically anyway. Uh, but, uh, get in touch again, 518-400-2729 in the business being in business. I hope you've enjoyed the show. That's about it. I'll stop. Um, more coming soon. Keep in touch.